Bibles with me to Colossians 1. Real small one in the New Testament. If you hit 1st or 2nd Thessalonians, you went too far. No shame in using the table of contents either. I do it all the time. Uh, We're in our second series, or second part of a series going through the book of Colossians tonight. And uh, someone pointed out to me that when we were going through um, some of the smaller known Bible characters in January and February, I kept saying that these verses were my favorite. It was probably my wife. Um, And this is a section of scripture I just want to mention. I'm not going to say it's my favorite because I can't have 20 favorites. But I will say this, if you've ever wondered, how can I convey who Jesus Christ is in in a short time? How can I, what is a scripture that has everything I would ever need to tell someone? You know, sometimes people will say, oh, if someone's curious about God or Jesus, have them read the book of John. Well, that's all well and good, but as soon as you get to John 1, you read that the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and people get confused. Uh, so here's what I just want to impress upon you. If you don't hear anything else I say tonight, just hear this. If you ever are wondering about who Jesus is, Colossians 1 is the answer. Specifically these verses. I've titled it, The Beginning, The Firstborn, and In Everything. As you're going to see tonight, what what we talk about and what Paul writes to the Colossian church is exactly this. So burn it into your brains. If you're ever curious about who Jesus is or if you've forgotten who Jesus is, Colossians 1. Last week we talked about the first uh, part of the book and after Paul's introduction to, to the church in Colossae and after his prayer that he goes through, we talked about this great structure of prayer for praying for people and ourselves. He goes into sort of what I would call theology 101. This is the base level of Christian theology. This is the fundamental understanding that we all must have. And so if you have never taken a theology class or a class on Christology, which is just essentially who Jesus is, uh, we're going to have a little one tonight. The question that Paul is answering is this, is who is Jesus? Who was the Son? And like I said, if you've ever wondered how to communicate this, Colossians 1, 15 to 23 is your answer. So please follow along with me. Uh, It's on the screen if you prefer in front of you, um, whichever you prefer. He writes this in verse 15. He, being Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. And you who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his fleshly body through death, so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him, provided that you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith, 
without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. I, Paul, became a servant of this gospel. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here we are. Paul starts his theology course by saying this. Jesus is quite literally the image of the invisible God. We know that no one has ever actually seen God. It says in the Old Testament that Moses kind of saw him walking away. We know that when Jesus saw God in the transfiguration before he left the disciples, that he was glowing white because it was just so much holiness. But no one's ever seen God. That's why we don't have an image of him. But but Paul says, no, Jesus was just that. Jesus was the the image of the invisible God. And so, if I can overstate this, I absolutely will. This should be all we need. That Jesus, who was Jesus? He is the image of the invisible God. Everyone's always curious about who this God is. Is there a God? How could a good God? No, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And he gives us another detail that I find really fascinating. Is that he says he is the firstborn of all creation. You know, this, this word image you may recognize it. It's used throughout Scripture, and it's, it means exactly what it says. In Genesis 1.27, it says that man was made in the image of God. As I mentioned before in John chapter 1, it says that Jesus was the Word, and the Word became flesh, and that He was the fullness of God. In Proverbs chapter 8, it says that all wisdom comes from God, and that Jesus is also all wisdom, because God is all wisdom, therefore Jesus is all wisdom. That God, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit existed before creation. He is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of all creation. And and what's great is that when we think about this, we realize that Jesus has been and will be for a very long time. But it also creates some issues. If you say in, in modern English that Jesus is the firstborn... That then denotes that he was created. There was a time and a place where Jesus was born. And naturally, one would ask, well, if Jesus was created, how was he created? Who's Jesus's, you know, spiritual mom? When? Was Jesus created before the earth or after the earth? Before the fall or after the fall? Was Jesus, was God always a trinity then? Or did God create the trinity when he made creation? Was was God always three parts or one? And I, I don't understand how we understand this. Well, this is a question people have had since forever. Since Jesus died and rose again, people were wondering, Jesus said these things and Paul said these things, but was Jesus ever created? Or has Jesus always been? It's the question of, is Jesus fully God or is Jesus some sort of a subset or a lesser amount of God? Well, the church wrestled with this a lot early on. And in the fourth century, uh, it was basically decided that this is not the case. That Jesus is God and that God was Jesus and that Jesus has always been God and that God has always been Jesus. And they decided that these people that were believing this said that this is what we call a heresy, that this is not true, that this actually belittles Scripture if we believe that Jesus is a lesser God or that Jesus is a created or subset of God. You know, there are still some religions that believe this today, actually. Jehovah's Witnesses are a good example. They believe that Jesus was born and is a sort of lesser or not fully God. It's called an Arian, or it's called the Arian heresy. 
if you want to look it up. But no. We must understand that when it says the firstborn of all creation, it's not talking about a birth order. It's not talking about that he was literally born with creation. What it means is simply the way you would think of an inheritance or the way you would think of a, a place in someone's house. The firstborn is the one who has all of the rights and all of the power and all of the inheritance. God, all of God is in Jesus. All of him. And it's hard to wrap our brains around, but this is how and this is who God is, is that God has always been God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That God existed before creation in the beginning. And Jesus has always been the same as God has always been. The ruler and the creator of the world. As I mentioned, this idea of firstborn is not about being born. It's just simply about birthright and inheritance. It shows that God gave everything to Christ. In fact, there's even, um, and this is kind of a fun thing you can look up as well. I've had a number of conversations with these people. Uh, there is a Christian cult that believes that there is a mother of God as well. You may have heard of this. Um, we can talk about it more later if you're curious. But there's a group of people who decided that if, if God, the Father, was masculine, then there must also be a God the Mother, and that the Trinity is actually God the Father, God the Mother, and, and then Jesus is their son. Um, which I, I don't like to say outright that I'm right and they're wrong about everything, but I'm fairly confident that that's not right. <laughs> and it's not what this passage is saying. Jesus was not ever born of God. He was born of Mary on the earth as a human, but as far as the personhood of Jesus and who Jesus is, he has always been. He is the image of the invisible God and he is the firstborn of all creation. It's hard to think about, but it's how we must see God and how we must see Jesus Christ as being fully God as well as fully man when he walked this earth. And Paul then goes on for the Colossians to build the argument. He says in verse 16, For in him all things, all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, Thrones, dominions, rulers, powers, everything has be, been created through him and for him. This got my mind really spinning. I thought, wait a minute, everything? All things? All things were created by Jesus and through Jesus. And then it goes on to give me this thing which makes my brain go even crazier. All things visible and all things invisible. So wait a minute, there's things that are invisible. There are things we can't see. There are things I don't know about. There are things that may be existing. Is this like another dimension? Is this like some sort of thing that I can't see with my eyes? Is this some sort of spiritual world? Is this, what is it talking about? Well, let me say this. Um, what we don't see, I don't know about because I can't see it. But I will say this. When I thought about this, the first thing I thought about was space. I don't know if you're like me, uh, if you guys know Jo, uh, Joanna, she is, is a, an astrophysicist and studies galaxies for a living. Um, and she tried to explain to me what she does. And in the first 30 seconds, I was lost and confused and wishing I had asked a different question. And this is immediately what I thought about when I read this. I thought about space. Okay. So I can't speak to all the spiritual world, but, but I, I did a little research on the whole space thing. If everything was created, not just Earth, right? Everything. 
in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, everything. And Jesus was there, and it was created for him and through him, according to this. Then that means that God and Jesus are aware of everything out there. Everything. There's a video put out called Indescribable by a guy named Louis Giglio, or Giglio, I'm not sure how to say his name. Uh, if you've ever seen it, it's a little simplistic for a scientist like Joe, but for us it's great. And he basically goes through a bunch of facts about Earth that he got from NASA and different things. And if you've ever seen it, you'll know what I'm talking about. But if not, let me share this with you. This is how big and powerful Jesus is, that all things were created through him. So, so we live on Earth, and Earth is very big. Earth is very big and very daunting. All you have to do is fly across it to realize how big it is and how long it takes to get somewhere, or drive across it. But, but our galaxy, Earth is a tiny, tiny little rock in a very, 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 very large galaxy. Our galaxy, it's called the Milky Way, has between, they don't know because they can't count them, but has between 100 billion and 400 billion stars. The closest one to us is that thing that's keeping us warm. That's one of at least 100 billion, with a B, okay? Just in our galaxy. And our galaxy is not just, as I said, Earth and the surrounding planets, it's pretty big. If you traveled at light speed, which is 300,000 kilometers per second, okay? so wrap your brain around that, how fast that is, 300,000 kilometers per second, for 100,000 years, okay? that's how long you're going this fast, you would get across the galaxy once. Just one time. And then on top of that, this is just one galaxy in the universe. In the known universe, NASA says that there is somewhere between 100 and 200 billion galaxies. And I started to think about this verse in Colossians. And my head started to hurt. Because in the beginning... When God was creating the universe with Christ and the Holy Spirit, they were creating all of this together. And, and God was doing all of it and making this vast expanse of the universe and all of these wonderful, great things that we'll never even see. And it was all created with and through Jesus Christ. And he also says that it's all held together in verse 17 by him as well. This is the Lord that we serve. This is the Lord that we sing songs to. There is so much in this world, in, in, in this universe, that we will never even see. We will never know how beautiful it is. We will never know the name for it. We'll just guess that it's one of the hundred billion galaxies out there. This is why Jesus was such a big deal. Is such a big deal. Is that all of it was made through him and for him. And he holds it all together. I mean, verse 15, 16, and 17 are basically saying, listen, this guy, Jesus, was not just a prophet. He was not just a, a Jewish man who, who had the power to heal people. He was not just some guy who lived life better than us. He is the ruler of all things, heaven and earth. And it's not where it stops. Because if this was all Jesus was, it would be worthy of worshiping him. If this was all Jesus was, we would still bow down and worship him for his greatness. But he goes on. In verse 18, he says, not only does this same Jesus love and care for the cosmos and the planets and the stars, and he knows them all, but this same Jesus is the head of the church. He's in charge of this place. 
the worldwide church. He is the first, he is the top, he is in everything, and he is supreme. He loves us. We are his bride. I used this story before and I'll use it again because it's the only way I can understand this. The man that married Jenna and I almost ruined the day because as I was standing in the front of the church and Jenna began to walk down the aisle, I'm holding off tears with everything inside of me and he leans over and says to me, now you know how Christ feels about the church. And I just lost it. And it finally clicked. This same God that has created the universe, the expanse of billions and billions of stars and galaxies that holds them all together through his power, looks at you and says, I love you like my bride. I would do anything for you. I will stay up late when your friends come over and I will wash the dishes for you. I'll do anything for you. And when he, when he says that he's the head of the church, let me just plant this inside. It's not just our church. And it's not just the church we agree with. It's all of the people on this earth who say that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And I don't want to go on a big ecumenical rant about who's right and who's wrong, <laughs> because I don't know. I want to address it because it comes up all the time. I just want to say this about different churches and what the church really is. Let me just say this. We can always learn from other people and other traditions. There's always a chance that we are wrong on something that we hold really tightly to. And I once had a mentor say this to me. I mean, aside from the big things of the cross and the resurrection and, and the power of the cross and the necessary and the need for it, when it comes to the, some of the things we fight over, different kinds of worship, different kinds of prayer, different buildings, different tradition, I once had a mentor tell me this, and I've never forgot it. He said, Sam, who among us can ever learn while talking? We can't learn from each other unless we hear each other. So I would encourage you, when you think about the church, when it says that Jesus Christ is the head of the body, the church, the whole church, whether it's Catholic, whether it's Protestant, whether it's Evangelical, whether it's Anglican, whether it's whatever, to listen, to engage, to participate, and to help others if you can. If someone is reading that book in front of you, they're on the right track. Yes, we have to draw a line sometimes theologically. Yes, we have to say no to extra-biblical books sometimes. You know, I once had someone ask me outright, you know, well, you know, the Koran and, and, and Islam talks about the same God, the God of Abraham, and I just think, you know, it's really not that different. And sometimes we have to draw a line. Sometimes we have to draw a line, and I will stand on it, and I will say the Koran, the, the God of the Koran is not God. I will also say that the God of the Book of Mormon is not God. These are, these are different things that we can talk about, and sometimes we have to draw a line in the sand. But when it comes to agreement on Jesus Christ being the Lord of all, and we are reading the same book in the same Gospels, we have to hear each other. We have to come together as the church to hear from God. We must be open, honest, gentle, and loving, but never diminishing the cross of Christ or the power of the resurrection. Why? Because in verse 19, Paul says it very clearly. Because Jesus Christ was the fullness of God and it pleased God to see it. That Jesus' life, death, and resurrection pleased God. 
And so we must then look to the life of Christ to learn how to do things, to learn how to pray, to learn how to treat each other. And in doing so, we see the fullness of God because Jesus is the image of God. And in looking to Christ, we understand the God of the universe all the more. And in verse 20, and through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of the cross. Verses 15 through 20 are so perfect. They're so great and complete. Verse 15 to 17 says Jesus is not just some guy, not just some prophet. He is actually Lord of the universe and Lord of the cosmos. And verses 18 to 20 go on to say that Jesus is also Lord of you and I through his cross, through his blood, and through his resurrection. And then in verse 21 to 23, Paul just tells us, and this is the good news about all of it. This is the best part about all of it. You were once estranged and hostile, doing evil deeds. And he is reconciled in his fleshly body through death to present to you blameless and holy to make you clean. The same God that created billions of stars that we'll never see. I mean, think about how big and hot the sun is. You ever been to the desert? I mean, the sun is just so big and so hot and so oppressive, and that's one star of billions in billions of galaxies around the world, and Jesus knows them all. He created them all. He was there when they were formed and built in the same God, the same Jesus, made you clean, made you holy, and made you blameless. Peace through his blood for us. See, the world sometimes thinks that Jesus was just kind of a weird person or some of this crazy person who just died. The Romans caught him and, and whatever. But what's so amazing and crazy about this is that the God we worship is the same God who gave his life for us. Our upside-down kingdom that doesn't make sense to the world. Because even if God had created all of these things and given us the law and didn't ever send Jesus and Jesus never died on the cross, he would still be worthy of worship. It would still be more than any of us ever deserved. But he also, see, it's like, think about it in three levels. There's the cosmos, and there's Jesus loving or knowing everything about the entire creation. And then he's the ruler of earth and all the people on earth. But then individually, he sees fit to love you perfectly. How can we respond to this? I mean, as people, what do we do? How can we answer such unmerited grace, such love, and such kindness and support? I don't know. I don't know. I want to share a story with you, though. Uh, the first time I started trying. I was 18 years old. Um, I, I started in ministry. Uh, if I haven't told you this story, I started in ministry kind of by a sad accident. Um, I didn't know what to do, and I thought it'd be good to help out with the youth ministry because, to be honest with you, I just wanted to go back to summer camp. Uh, and so I was 18, and I was home for my first summer back after college. And that May, as I was getting ready to come home, uh, the, the, the junior high pastor, it was a bigger church, so we had a separate junior high and high school group, so 12, 13, and 14-year-olds. The junior high pastor died of a, a freak accident that happened. And for the summer, they were without a youth pastor. And so my best friend and I, at 18 years old, 
we had been talking with them about working with them all summer. And, and we got there back for the summer, and they basically told us or asked us and said, hey, do you guys want to help run the ministry because we don't have anybody? And everyone else has jobs and is really, really busy, and you guys seem to have this whole summer to run a ministry. Uh, and I foolishly said yes. And that was how I started ministry. I never thought I'd really want to do it for a profession. I never thought I'd like it. Um, but this idea of Colossians 1 started to make sense in what we do about it that summer for me. Um, I was at summer camp, and I remember one of the rules was you have you know, 12 students in your cabin, and, and so during the week you have to have a one-on-one -on -one with every student in the cabin. And I'm a procrastinator, so I scheduled them all for the last day. And, and so I just told my cabin, I said, okay, so we're all supposed to meet one-on-one -on -one and talk. And so this Friday afternoon, the last day we're at camp, I'm going to be at the snack shop all afternoon. Okay, so 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock. Everyone come through. Everyone gets a half hour. Okay, and we'll all have a one-on-one, -on -one and I'll buy you all snacks or whatever. It'll be great. And the last kid of the day comes in, and I'm exhausted, and I don't really want to talk to him. Um, they're all hopped up on sugar and going crazy. And anyway, so I sit down across from this kid, and we start talking about life, and I can tell that there's something he's just, you know how sometimes kids just sort of look down and you can tell they're hiding something? And I looked at him and I just said, hey, what's going on? Like, I, to be honest, I was so short-tempered, I think instead of loving, I just really wanted to get it over with. So I said, just tell me, what is bothering you so much? He goes off on this rant about his parents and about his home life and about how he hated his parents and his parents hated him. And, and there was so much hate and anger and uncertainty in this young man's life. And I immediately saw myself as his age. I was the exact same kid. I was the exact same kid filled with anger and hate and rage. When I was a kid, I had such a temper and I would get so angry. I used to have a punching bag in the garage. And I'd have to go home and just to get my anger out, just start punching a punching bag until I fell physically exhausted on the floor. I had problems. But in this young man, I saw myself and I realized... This is what we do about the grace Jesus gave us. We share that grace with others. And I told this kid my story, and I remember it's the first time I'd ever actually shared my testimony with someone without being kind of like persuaded by a leader or forced to, and without being asked to do it. I wanted to share my story with him and the love Jesus had for me. I have no idea what came of that young man. I think about him all the time. And I hope and pray that he figured out and allowed the love and the grace Jesus offers him to come and take over his life. When I see Colossians 1 and I read the first couple of verses how Jesus is the Lord of all and he is so powerful and so mighty and loves the church and is in control of everything. But then I read verses 21, 22, and 23, and I see that all of this was for all of creation, but also for me. And I look at verse 23, and I realize this is what we do about it. The Apostle Paul says at the very end of our passage tonight, he says, I, Paul, have become a servant of this gospel. This is our answer. This is your answer to unmerited grace, unmerited love, to the gift that Jesus Christ offers us to become his servant on earth. To do what the Apostle Paul did and share it with people. It's absolutely crazy and makes no sense to those who don't know it. 
And it makes no sense to those who, who, who think about it like space and they think this Bible is crazy and stupid and just hurts their brain so they ignore it. But don't let it overwhelm you. Don't let it burden you. Let it be the thing that ignites you, that, 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 that puts a fire in your heart to say, I'm going to go out and serve other people. I don't know much, but what I do know, I'm going to tell other people. I don't know much, but you know what? You all know Colossians 1 now, so you can go and share that with other people. You just go tell people, hey, do you guys know that Jesus is the image of the invisible God? That Jesus is the firstborn of all creation? Like I said, I, this makes no sense to me when I try to think about it logically and rationally. It doesn't. It kind of hurts my brain, to be honest. But I know it's real. And I will never... I think back to Sam at 18 years old, and if you knew me, um, let's put it this way, if I told people I became a pastor, they wouldn't believe me. They wouldn't just laugh, but they would think I was lying. Um, the power of God can do so much that we don't understand, that we don't realize. And it's the same power that created the universe, it's the same power that holds it together, it's the same power that washed you white as snow in the eyes of God, that we would be together for all eternity. And that, to me, is a pretty joyful thing. Uh, will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for the Apostle Paul and for Colossians. Uh, thank you for... Thank you for Christ. Lord, thank you that he counts us his friends. And so, Lord, I pray that all of us would know that he is the name above all names, that he is the power above all powers, that he is the ruler and the authority of this life and the life to come. Lord, I pray that while we know he made the stars and is there and knows them all and holds them together, that he also knows us the same way. He knows our minds, he knows our hearts. As the psalm says, he knows every single one of the hairs on our head. And he thinks about us so much, all the time, all day long, because he cares about us. Lord, may we rest in that thought that the same God who created the universe loves us as his bride and cares for us. May we become servants of that gospel to this earth as the Apostle Paul did. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray.